Everybody, we are back with another episode of Can You Dig It? A podcast by Silver Screen Unroll and SB Nation Lakers community. I am one of your hosts, Christian Rivas, and uh, I'm joined by the same person I'm joined by with every week. If, if you haven't been listening to this episode, you may not know. Uh, but Jacob Rude is the man I talk to every week. And Jacob, uh, how are you doing today? Was was is the weather nice where you're at? Because we are on different parts of the country. Um, it's nice in Southern California. It's starting to get a little hot, uh, but I can't imagine it's uh, anywhere near as hot as where as as where you are. Well, right now it's fine. On the weekend, the heat index got up to like 120, so that was miserable. But it's cooled down to like the mid 70s now, so I'm feeling more like. Steve Ballmer was today. I'm not quite that excited. <laughs> I'm not quite jumping up and down and clapping that much, but I will take that over what it was this weekend. So, yeah, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were introduced by the Clippers this morning, I'd say, afternoon, whatever you want to call it. Um, Steve Ballmer was hyped. like That means crazy. Yeah, like legit crazy. And I think the, the part that humors me a little bit about this is that I think Kawhi Leonard genuinely likes it. Like he loves he how crazy him. Steve Ballmer yeah. is. Yeah. He was, he was enjoying every second of it. I imagine that can get old. Like, especially if, if they underperform and they're like a 41 win team, which I don't expect. Uh, and Steve Ballmer's like that all of the time. Um, I'd imagine that gets tiresome pretty quickly. And also the opposite, like imagine how devastated Steve Ballmer was uh whenever the clippers lost in the playoffs like to to take the golden state warriors so what was it they took him to six games to take him to six yes. games and then lose like that i imagine he was an absolute mess he ha- he's someone that like he makes the highs better and he makes the lows worse so like <laughs> as long as you're winning like it's going to be totally fine and it's going to be fun and you're going to be laughing but when things aren't going well, that same type of energy isn't probably quite as well received. And But they're winning, and Kawhi seemed to enjoy it today. Paul George seemed to enjoy it. And uh, so for now, it's all fun and games, but darn, wouldn't it be a bummer if it just kind of <laughs> went bottoms up over there? And, and some of you might be wondering why on earth it is we're talking about the Clippers on a Lakers podcast, uh, and it's because... One, I think it's important to know that at one point, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were both supposed to be Lakers. Like, this was supposed to be the year LeBron, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard were all on the same team. Didn't work out that way. Um, Instead, the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, a fine consolation prize. Uh, But Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, of course, could not get through just a normal introductory press conference without being asked about the Lakers because one they play for the Clippers uh who are widely regarded as the little brother or sister of 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 the Lakers however you want to look at it um and uh, and you know not to mention the fact that they have been tied to the Lakers at various points of their career uh so we're going to take a moment to go over some of the some of the comments that they made today uh and how they reflect reflect the Lakers and the one that stood out to me the most Jacob wasn't even a direct shot at the Lakers. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was talking about all the stuff that led him to the Clippers and the things he found attractive about the organization. Um, And the things he said about the Clippers, I don't think could be said about the Lakers yet. So one of the first things he said was uh, quote, I just felt like with doc being a championship head coach, that's something that I wanted an experienced coach. And the front office is just really transparent with me. They want to win, and it's just an opportunity for us to build our own history. You know what I mean? To make history. They haven't been to a finals. They haven't won a finals. That was something big and exciting for me to make my decision. I know the first thing 
Lakers fans are going to want to point out, the biggest difference between Lakers and Clippers is, yes, the Lakers do have – they've been to the finals. They've won the finals on several occasions. Um, but aside from that, the experienced head coach, uh, the transparency with the front office, uh, which – I mean, as far as we know, has improved uh, with everything we've heard from LeBron James and Anthony Davis during that free agency period, uh, them talking about how much they were in contact with Rob Palenka. Uh, but just the overall organizational togetherness, um, I don't think the Lakers are the poster child for that. <laughs> and I and I think the, the Clippers, over the past few years, uh, have established themselves as that. Yeah, I think it's safe to say they're not the poster child of <laughs> organizational togetherness. Uh, Anthony and Harrison, long, long ago, used to have a Fifty Shades of Shades segment. And <laughs> that Kawhi quote, at least the first part of it, that would register, like, I would think, like, mid-20s of Fifty Shades of Shade. Like, I don't necessarily think he was talking about the Lakers, but, like, it was kind of, like, backhanded. Like, these guys have an experienced coach, and the Lakers don't. And these guys have a front office that isn't just chaos, and the Lakers don't. So, in, like, it was almost like a backhanded type of way he was, like, insulting the Lakers, but, I mean, you could read between the lines pretty easily whether he meant it or not. Right. Like, the all the reasons he said he chose the Clippers were the exact opposite going on with the Lakers. And I think all those reasons, you can say the same thing about the Toronto Ra- Raptors, with the exception of that experienced head coach uh, and Nick Nurse. Uh, I think the biggest thing the Toronto Raptors had working against them was, one, just their location. I think Kawhi really wanted to come home, uh, and he was able to do that with the Clippers. And two, the the makeup of their their roster, um, the second best player on the team, you can argue is either Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam. Uh, Siakam's going to be a restricted free agent. He's a good player, uh, but he's not Paul George. Um, and Kyle Lowry is going to be what thirty four, going to turn thirty five pretty soon here. Uh, and I don't know if his next contract with the Raptors will be as lucrative or for as long-term as the one he's on right now. Uh, but just long-term, I don't think the Raptors were the best option for him, even with guys like Siakam, Ananobi, and, and Fred Van Vliet on the roster. So uh, I think when looking at that quote, the real contrast you're looking at is with the Lakers. And I think the most frustrating thing about it uh, is that you can argue – the Lakers got in their own way in this sense. Um, they could have had a championship head coach in Tyron Liu, uh, kind of fumbled those negotiations in a, in a pretty bad way. Um, their president of basketball operations resigned on the last night of the season. Without um, telling anybody he was. Yeah. Crazy. And that, that, that doesn't exactly scream <laughs> transparency. LeBron James, the star of the team, said publicly how upset he was that he didn't get like a, yo, what's up? I'm leaving from Magic Johnson. And Magic's response was, hey, I'm a grown man. I'm at peace with everything I did. Um, not a great look for for Magic or the front office. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't think Kawhi Leonard is, is wrong in wanting those things, but I do think the Lakers are wrong for not being able to present him that. Man, I keep coming back to this. Magic's, like, aura or whatever you want to call it, like, reputation. I mean, to me, it took a pretty big hit in the last, like, I don't even remember when he he resigned. March? No, it had been April. So from, like, April through, like, the beginning of free agency now. Man, we have found out a lot of things and just kind of connected the dots on a lot of things that suggest uh, he was pretty terrible at his job. Right. Um, On top of just showing up to Staples and saying, I'm out. Um, (laughs) He, I mean, the big thing for me, just looking at the the, the way the roster was constructed this year versus last year, 
it's pretty clear that Magic was the one making the choices on who they're signing, and boy, we know that was awful. Um, and then just all the stories about what was going on and him not showing up, and then just everything with this Kawhi thing where, like, you know he's a guy that, like, keeps to himself and, like, I don't want to necessarily say introverted, but, like, he's just kind of reserved and you go have dinner with him and his uncle, and then, like, it was like he ran to the closest reporter, like, hit, <laughs> found the first one in his phone and told them literally everything that happened. And it's like, I, I do believe that that played a pretty decent role in the Lakers not getting him. Right, and and Kawhi Leonard, in, in talking to, to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, outright said himself, um, you know, Magic didn't, play a role in me not signing with the Lakers that was its own thing which fine like what else is Kawhi Leonard gonna say you know like Magic Johnson ruined the Lakers (laughs) chances um the the thing that was more telling to me than him outright saying Magic Johnson didn't have an impact uh was something he said during his introductory press conference uh and so this isn't taken out of context he was asked the the role of the Clippers keeping their negotiations private and under wraps, how much uh, or how important that was to him. And he said, quote, a lot of things are made up now in today's world of NBA. You can start a website or blog and push that out and say Kawhi's doing this, Kawhi's doing that. But it's always important to me to have a mutual understanding between everyone to be transparent, good or bad. And I feel that builds a great relationship. Once we had our meeting, they were true to their word. Nothing really got out. The, the like, I want to say less than an hour before Kawhi Leonard and Magic Johnson wrapped up whatever dinner or had the the phone call they had. There were reports on how it went. Um, I don't know if there were, were any topics about the subject matter, but we heard it went well, and that Magic Johnson made a good impression on him. And if you know, if you're reading between the lines, who's gonna leak? That Magic yeah. Johnson made a good impression on Kawhi Leonard. Um, obviously, there's no way to confirm that, but I mean, uh, I think just the, the listening to Kawhi and, and saying what he values in in an organization, Magic Johnson embodies everything that isn't that. Um, and I I don't want to pile all the blame on Magic Johnson because again, the Lakers kind of shot themselves in the foot. Uh, with where they are just by their own uh, what's the word I'm looking for Stupid. I don't want to yeah <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say incompetence but they definitely like um, they know what they know and they like to stick to it My so hypothetical if the Lakers had went out and say gotten Bob Myers to be the president of basketball operations do you think that changes Kawhi's decision at all? Probably, yeah. Um, and see, but th- this is the other thing. The mind of Kawhi Leonard or whatever wiring he has is <laughs> yeah. so complex because you you have two reports going on here. Uh, and you have two narratives started by Kawhi himself going on here. You have, one, the narrative that he just wanted to play for a good organization. And by all accounts, regardless of how you feel about the Clippers as a Lakers fan, the Clippers are a very well-ran organization to the point where people in positions of power with the team have been given opportunities to leave the team. And they said, no, I like where I'm at. LA's a great city. Uh, and we got something good going on here. The other narrative is that he did not want to form, or sorry, he didn't want to join a super team. And the difference between playing with the Clippers and the Lakers is that he and Kawhi, or sorry, he and Paul George were teaming up. That was their decision. Uh, I don't know how much Le- uh, Kawhi Leonard had to do with his recruitment. I know he's downplayed it a few times, and I've read a few things where, um, you know, the Leonard's recruitment was overstated. Uh, but regardless of the fact, in his introductory press conference today, he said he's been wanting to play with Paul George for a really long time. Um, And he even said uh, himself in an interview with Rachel Nichols, he nearly re-signed with the Raptors or signed with the Lakers 
But then that trade came up. Paul George became available, and he said, all right, well, this is where I want to be. To me, it sounds like Kawhi just really wanted to play for the Clippers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if there was an opportunity where they were either on par or just slightly below in terms of a winning destination than the Lakers or Raptors, he was always going to go there. Uh, And I think the Clippers, credit to them for doing everything they can to make themselves that destination. Um, And and to that point, if we're assuming that's true, I don't know how much the Lakers could have done to put themselves over the top. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was always he was basically going to give the Clippers like the first, second, third, fourth rights of refusal and just let them do everything they could to try to become a competitive team. Um, I don't want to say he would have begrudgingly signed with the Lakers because he would have <laughs> teamed up with LeBron and AD, but that was definitely like, I mean, I'd say Plan B, but it like. Plan B was a different plan for the for the Clippers. Like it was way down the list of what he wanted to do. I don't really think Toronto was ever in the cards. I agree. Especially, especially after he won a title, that team is going to age out pretty quickly. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting reading some of the things. Like the Clippers tried everything they could. They called about James Harden. They called about a uh, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. Yeah. And then this Paul George thing kind of came about last minute, um, which I think Kawhi did have something to do with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I he was going to give the Clippers every conceivable possible opportunity to get a second star he didn't want to go there by himself and if they could get just anybody second type of star player right um he was going to sign with them so i i i think it was going to be i i really don't think like looking back in hindsight i don't think the lakers really had much of a chance just from that perspective, not even taking into account all the front office stuff and the Magic right. Johnson stuff. I think he just wanted to be on the Clippers. Yeah, and I think that's um, my overwhelming feeling, too. Could could the Lakers have put themselves in a better position to make a pitch for Kawhi Leonard? Yes, and I think that's a fair complaint to have as a fan. Did my team do everything they could to make themselves an attractive mm-hmm. destination for one of the best reagents on the market? I don't think that I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation, especially for a team in a big market like the Lakers, uh, and and with the resources they do have. Um, so there was a lot of hurrah from the Clippers, a lot of patting themselves on the back today, uh, and rightfully so. I think I think the Clippers are going to be a very good team uh, when it comes next season. And Lakers Lakers fans don't like hearing that because the Clippers have been the little brother for so long. Um, and, and as we've mentioned before, they don't have a championship to their name. Uh, and and they've been in the Lakers' shadow for so long that ev- anything mentioning the Clippers is LOL Clippers. And I think when you look at this roster and the talent they have, I, I don't know if any reasonable person can look at that and say, eh, don't worry about it. it it's just the Clippers. They're, they're going to be very good next season. Yeah, as I found out, um, I think yesterday or Tuesday, whenever you're listening to this, uh, there's a lot of, maybe not a lot, a vocal minority uh, subset of Laker fans who are not quite ready to admit that the Clippers might actually um, be a, a legitimate contender. That team, the that roster... That's a really, it's a really good roster. It's a really good core that they already had. They got, I mean, the you talked about the front office people turning down other positions to stay with the team. You have, like, players who are turning down more lucrative deals. Patrick Beverly turned down a lot more money from Sacramento to stay with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Lou Williams signed a ridiculously team-friendly contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Montrez Harrell, I don't know how much... Um, interest he had when he signed but his his contract's even pretty team friendly so you have uh you have those three already Zubats is was already coming back um 
they trade for Mo Harkless. I mean, they already had, and Landry Shamit was the other one. They already had a really good core, that they just added two of the top. I mean, safely two of the top ten players, to a team that I think won forty-seven games last year, forty-eight games last year. I can't. Um, I can't believe they didn't give up Shamit in that Paul George deal. That's oh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe they got Shamit in the Tobias deal right. and then didn't have to get him up, give him up. Uh, this this team's legit. Like, this is like top of the. I think, just in terms of like top to bottom roster talent, I think that they're almost objectively better than the Lakers. And uh, if we've and definitely t- from a depth perspective, right? And we've talked about this on the pod before. There's also something to be said about continuity as well. And yeah. you know, Doc Rivers has his vets in place uh, with the Clippers. You got, as you mentioned, Lou Williams there, Montrez Harrell there, Patrick Beverly's coming back, Jermichael Green's coming back, um, and then you guys got you got guys like Landry coming back. Uh, it's just a, a solid foundation to build on, and, and obviously there's there's no better way to do that than with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, the Lakers, I would not be surprised if they had a few hiccups in the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. similar to how they did last season. Yeah, the Lakers have a whole bunch of new players being thrown together, whereas, like you said, the Clippers – more or less, they're just adding... I mean, they're two big pieces, but they're adding two pieces to a group that was there that know right. kind of how to play together. So there's a huge difference there. I would pretty safely say that the Clippers are going to finish with a better regular season record. Um, if they were to match up in the playoffs, it would be very different because, Lord, AD will just destroy anybody in their <laughs> front court. But, yeah. uh, this, and then, yeah, if you get Boogie close to what he was, that's going to be a nightmare for them to match up with. But, yeah, I mean, the, this team's so deep that they're going to still be able – I know Kawhi said that the load management thing, I think he said he wanted to try to play every game or right. some, play a full season. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have the luxury to be able to rest him if they need to because of the depth they have. I don't know that the Lakers – I don't think LeBron will really be able to be rested and – you may be able to do be able to rest AD if Boogie's playing really well, but the Lakers aren't going to have that same luxury. Yeah, and I I got a DM from from one of our readers at Silver Screen Enroll the other day telling me that um, the Lakers don't need Andre Iguodala because they're already set at the three position, and like even with like aside from that claim that they don't need any more threes, you just the, the whole point of putting a basketball team together and Team USA might have to, to go this route soon as well is just you just get as many good players as you can on your roster as humanly possible and figure out the rest later. Um, but Iguodala would be, even at his age, a nice buffer for when LeBron James is sitting. Because right now, you look at their depth at the three spot, the guys that I personally would feel comfortable soaking up minutes at that three spot are LeBron James, Danny Green, and maybe Contavious Caldwell-Pope. That's it for me. I think Kuz is a four. I think he needs to get a little stronger to defend fours. Um, but I think he's a four. Jared Dudley hasn't been a three since before the 2015-16 season. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, anybody else you put at that, that position, they're just going to get overpowered uh by some of those bigger wings that you have so somebody like an andre iguodala uh a Cephalosha, i know justin holiday is off the market now he would have been a nice addition but um that is something that i think is a legitimate fear for lakers fans is how are they going to manage lebron james minutes um and how are they going to stagger the rotation there's literally never been a team say that's okay. We have too many three and D players or three and D <laughs> wings. Um, yeah, and especially somebody like Iguodala, like he basically just doesn't care about the regular season anymore. Right. But I mean, this is like the second or third postseason in a row. This last one where he was immense. Like he still can play at a high level. Um, 
in those moments. And even that in itself, having a guy who's been there in those moments, um, because the Lakers don't really have a lot of those guys, especially guys that are going to play. Like LeBron and Danny Green have. Boogie got a taste of that a little bit this year, but that was even his first playoffs. Um, JaVale, but I don't really know how much he would play in a like a big final series. Maybe Quinn Cook. Like you're getting into like role players who had very limited roles. Rondo, but I really hope we're not playing him in a <laughs> a big playoff series. Unless so having another, yeah. Unless you get playoff having, Rondo. Oh well, I would rather not find <laughs> out. Um, so yeah, having another, just another guy who's played in those moments, um, just that and of itself has value, especially. At this point, if he signs with the Lakers, it's on a minimum deal. Like, right. You don't say no to that. Just that idea is wild. But I do think that's like the biggest remaining hole the Lakers have is that just they need another wing, especially a wing defender. And Iggy just solves like so many problems this team would have come playoff time. I don't really care what – I mean, if he wanted to rest – 60 games in the regular season. I wouldn't even care. <laughs> Just as long as he's ready in the playoffs. And, yeah, come playoff time, he would be invaluable and he would be exactly what the team needed. Before we take a little break, I want to highlight, I, I agree with you, Andre Iguodala has not cared about the regular season for quite some time. But even in spite of that, he posted the fifth highest VORP on the Golden State Warriors during the regular season at plus 1.6. And that's a team with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. He's he's just an absolute monster. Um, mm-hmm. And again, what, a, a guy that's been there before knows what it takes to win at the highest level. And when we come back, we will talk about one of those guys that the Lakers have um, that that has just been there before. So. So kind of on the topic of Kawhi Leonard, uh, one of the guys that was waiting for that free agency saga to come to an end was Danny Green. Uh, And despite having an offer from the Mavericks, which I think was three years, 36 million, if I'm not mistaken. um, I think that third year was only partially guaranteed, um, which is one of the factors I'm sure that led him to the Lakers. Um, But beside the fact Lakers got him on a two-year, $30 million deal. It's a really good deal for a player of his caliber because, one, I, I think that shooting uh, – or, sorry, that <laughs> that signing, among others, just kind of – it felt good as somebody that covers the team because you saw last year the lack of effort they put into putting shooting on the roster. And by the time they realized – Oh, you know what? It, maybe LeBron James does need shooters uh, to thrive, um, come playoffs, or you know, just to complete for uh, to compete for a playoff spot. By the time they realized it, by the time they got Reggie Bullock, Mike Muscala, it was too late. And yeah. <laughs> and so them signing Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley, guys that are. 38 plus career three-point shooters is great and green is is at the very top of that list um last year he shot 45.5 percent from the three-point line on 5.4 attempts um off the top of my head the guys that did that last season if i'm remembering correctly are stephen curry danilo gallinari buddy healed clay thompson and joe harris which you're talking elite three-point shooters, and that's what Danny Green is. And if you get LeBron James, an elite three-point shooter, uh, you're already in a better spot than you were last season if you're the Lakers. I mean, we saw what he did with Kyle Korver. Um, when <laughs> the last year LeBron was in Cleveland, Kyle Korver, I had it pulled up here, shot 43.6% from three on five attempts a game. Um, I I found some stats, or I looked up some stats on Danny Green to give you an idea of just how absurd of a 
shooter he is. So according to Synergy, on unguarded catch and shoots this year, he shot 59.2%. Uh, not all of those are necessarily threes. I can't imagine there were many that weren't. That is 100th percentile. That's first in the league on people with at least 10 possessions. Like, he was best in the league at unguarded catch and shoots. Um, NBA's stats have uh, how close a defender was. So on wide open shots where the defender is at least six feet away, he shot 51.3%. On open shots where the defender was four to six feet away, he shot 44.5%. So basically if he was open from three, he shot 48% last year. And the, the one just to tell you how bad the Lakers were last year, on shots where he was considered tightly guarded, two to four feet, he still shot 36.5% from three last year, which would have been fourth best on the Lakers behind, it was Caruso, Rondo, and Lance Stevenson. I know Kuzma's probably not on that list uh, just because, I mean, he was pretty terrible from the three-point line. Like, even wide open catch and shoot three-pointers, he was he was very, very bad. Uh, and happy birthday, by the way, Kyle Kuzma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hell, hell way to wish him happy birthday. Right, right. I, I mean, I, really, I, hope, really bad. <laughs> I, hope, I hope he has a bounce-back season. I hope he's great. I have no doubt he'll be very good, but... Um, yeah, as a three-point shooter, he wasn't great. And I think last season, the Lakers were banking on two players in Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green. Or, sorry, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma sustaining unprecedented success that they had from the three-point line. Like, prior to coming to the Lakers uh, in his first year, Contavious Caldwell-Pope by no means was a lights-out three-point shooter. And the same couldn't be said about Kyle Kuzma during his time in Utah. Um, just not a a good three point shooter with Danny Green, and the amount of years he's been in the league, um, you have ten years of proven three point shooting, which isn't something the Lakers had last season. Um, with the exception of maybe Reggie Bullock, but even then, as soon as he, you know, sniffed the air in Los Angeles, he became a a bad three point shooter. Um, <laughs> hopefully, the same thing doesn't happen to Danny Green. But even then, I think the, the the part of Danny Green's game that's underrated, um, and maybe I'm wrong, is, is the impact he has on the defensive end. Oh, well, yeah, certainly. I was looking at Kuzma last year on the same wide open, or shots considered wide open, was 31.9%. Yeah, not great. Happy birthday. <laughs> that's 20% <laughs> worse than Danny Green was. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that's another big thing with Danny Green is that he gives you a guy that you can stick on the other team's best wing player. Um, he probably is best guarding twos, which is kind of another reason that Iggy would be awesome to get. Right. Um, but he's, I mean, he's more than capable of guarding threes. Last year, Brandon Ingram's a really good young defender, but he's still inexperienced, and he was the one more often than not, tasked with guarding the best wing player. Um, so having a veteran who's been around and guarded some of those types of players um, on the team this year, you can basically say Danny Green has, you know, X player, and we'll figure out the other matchups from there, which right. is just a huge luxury to have um, no matter who you're playing. You can go to the Clippers and say, all right, Danny Green's on Kawhi, which is solves a huge problem, and then you can figure out your matchups from there. So, yeah, defensively, um, he's just as important to this team. Maybe not just as important, but he's still really, really, really important to this team um, because I was going to try to pull up his synergy numbers real quick defensively, but, I mean, he was still an incredible um Defender and one of the better wing defenders. I was, I did a poll during the playoffs or during the finals, um, who the best three and D wings were in the league, um, because I think Danny Green's probably at least top three in the league as in terms of three and D wings. I I think the the 
I really like the point you made about Brandon Ingram, uh, and I, I wouldn't limit that to just Ingram. I think when you look at guys like Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and Lonzo Ball last season, all had the potential to be positive defenders, um, you know, impact players on the defensive end. The only difference is uh, on a lot of nights, and I think you can say, especially with Josh Hart, um, he'd be a he'd do a really good job of defending his guy, uh, but he'd just make dumb mistakes that young players make, like fouling James Harden on a on a three point shot, and so many times, right? And j- fouling shooters in general. Josh Hart was the absolute worst with that last season, uh, and to have a guy that's been there before, like Danny Green, pick up. You know, whether it's C.J. McCollum, James Harden, um, you know, even to a lesser extent, Gary Harris, uh, just good shooting guards in in a stacked Western Conference. uh, That's going to be really helpful for the Lakers. Um, And I don't know if you're still planning on pulling up those synergy stats, but just looking at ESPN's uh, real plus minus in terms of defensive real plus minus, Danny Green was only second to Jimmy Butler. Uh, in defensive real plus minus among shooting guards last season, um, which I don't know, I don't know if you've watched Jimmy Butler play or heard stories <laughs> about him playing with team janitors and God knows who against the Timberwolves starters, uh, but he's a really good defender, um, and to have a guy that you can say I wouldn't be, I I don't think it's hyperbolic to say an elite wing defender on the team. Um, if you had to think. When's the last time LeBron James played with a guy like that? Ooh, an elite wing defender. Uh, it wouldn't be anybody in Cleveland that second go-around. Mm, maybe Dwayne Wade. Um, with the Heatles, there wasn't really anybody else because the other kind of wing player was usually like a, a Ray Allen or a Mike Miller. And those first Cleveland teams were kind of the same. They were another guard. Yeah, he may have never, unless I'm just forgetting someone, he may have never had any wing player that's as good of a defender as uh, Danny Green is. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. Dwayne Wade would be the only one, but, I mean, I guess Dwayne Wade was probably guarding the other team's shooting guards, like, Danny Greenwell. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Wade during those Heatle years are probably the the only time he's really had another wing defender to um, match up on somebody out there. And I, t- to me, and I, I know this is a really unpopular opinion, uh, especially from LeBron James detractors, but to me, really all LeBron James need is a co-star and a, and a reliable three-point shooting veteran that can play defense. I think mm-hmm. right there is is the recipe for a championship with LeBron James. I don't know if that alone is going to be enough for them to get across the likes of the Clippers, the Nuggets, uh, the Jazz. And I know people like to clown on the Houston Rockets because they've been so close for so many years. And people love, especially to clown Russell Westbrook, because he's been, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to say a ball hog because, I mean, he's averaged a triple-double, but... I'll say it. He's a ball <laughs> hog. <laughs> he's a... Uh, people... I, I, the Houston Rockets scare me just a little bit. I think they're going to be a very tough team to guard, uh, especially when you look at who the Lakers could potentially pair Danny Green with in that backcourt. And right now, I, I don't think there's any clear-cut answer. Yeah, those are the types of things where I was actually talking about this today. Like, if you assume Harden will be defended by Danny Green, which almost certainly, buddy, I don't know who you put on <laughs> Russ. Uh, you really better hope Avery Bradley has a bounce back year. I mean, Caruso, maybe. Um, that'll be interesting. But at the same time, like, who are they going to defend Anthony Davis with? Like, I guess maybe Clint Capella, but if you go with Davis and Boogie, they're not going to be able to play small. That's the thing that I was was discussing basically playoff matchups with a friend. The Lakers are going to lose a lot of the backcourt matchups unless they get Iggy. 
um, which right now, in that conversation, we weren't assuming they were. They're going to lose most of the backcourt ones. They're going to win about every frontcourt matchup right. in the league next year, which um, will make for some really interesting playoff series. Knock on wood that we finally get the playoffs again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Rockets are the one team that, just kind of looking on paper, will be a really interesting matchup um, because I don't really know how well Russ and Harden will fit, but those are two really good top 20 players. And the <laughs> LeBron might be playing point guard, but he ain't going to be defending Russell Westbrook <laughs> <Right>. for <laughs> seven games or however many games it might be. Yeah, I think uh, Lakers fans have thrown Caruso's name out there quite a few times, but I think it goes back to the same point you made earlier about Brandon Ingram um, just being inexperienced. I think Caruso is a very disciplined defensive player. Um, I think he knows what he's doing on the defensive end. But there are just some guys, man, like like a Russell Westbrook, James Harden, guys that can just hit you with everything they have. Um, there comes a point where being in the NBA for – if I had to guess, less than 82 games um, through when when Caruso's been with the team, um, those are just things you have to learn by going through. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if two, three matchups is enough for Caruso to get it. And, you know, in a playoff series, it's you start to pick up people's habits. You start figuring things out. But during the regular season, I think they're really going to struggle to find that synergy um, between the point guard and shooting guard, or at least who's guarding them. Yeah, I mean, during the playoffs, you search out those weaknesses. And, I mean, yeah, that's going to be a big thing for the Lakers. Uh, Caruso's only played in 62 games. Um, if it gets playoff time and he's guarding, that was something that uh, Pete brought up in a recent video about Kuzma where last year he was the one they targeted on switches um, a lot of times because he's a weaker defender. Um, it'll Again, it'll be nice to have Danny Green kind of take one guy away, but I assume the Lakers are going to switch a fair amount this year. Um, so you're going to need guys like Caruso to really learn the ropes. That's why I also think it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle the point guard rotation because I mean Rondo is what he is at this point he's not he's only going to get worse at this point in his career whereas Caruso and maybe even a Quinn Cook Quinn Cook's a pretty bad defender um but Caruso is somebody that is only is going to improve still so it'll be interesting to see if they give him minutes um that he probably deserves I mean, just looking at it from, like, the contracts they offered, they gave Caruso and Quinn Cook bigger deals than they gave Rondo. Um, there's obviously a lot more that can go into that. I'm not as sold as a lot of people are. Maybe this is just naive optimism that Rondo's really going to play um, a lot of minutes for this team. Maybe early in the year as they're kind of learning the ropes. But I think that I, this front office has done a lot of things right since Magic left and in terms of bringing in the right players. And um, Frank Vogel will definitely have more control over the locker room than Luke Walton will. So if they can get guys like Caruso and Quinn Cook experience, that would help a lot of things. But, I mean, it, it's just kind of going back to where we started. It's just nice that you can basically take one of those guys off the table and say, well, we know who is guarding James Harden in this scenario. And that there's a certain level of confidence that can come with that. Because, I mean, on the other end, if James Harden, I don't, I don't think he would be guarding Danny Green, but he's going to have to be, those guys are going to have to be running around screens all over the court and whatnot next year. And um, those types of things, where's, where's the opponent down? So, I mean, um, it brings up a whole other element. I mean, we saw, like you said, if you give LeBron a shooter and he's never had a kind of a role guy like what um, Anthony Davis is, it's just going to be a really different team than he than well than last year. And 
a different team than he's had before. It's a really exciting dynamic because those three pieces, Danny Green, AD, and LeBron, fit so well together that um, good luck defending pick and rolls with those guys. <laughs> uh, uh, not to get too far off track, but I did want to touch on something in, in regards to Rajon Rondo. I think on a young team, guys like Rondo are valuable because they do all the right veteran things when they're on the court, even if they don't practice it, like Rajon Rondo calling out defensive coverages and telling guys where to be. I think on a young team, coaches value that a whole bunch. I'm not sure Frank Vogel will on a like star-laden, veteran-heavy team, uh, which is where I think that optimism should be placed in Rajon Rondo not playing that big of a role this season. I think when you look at the type of offense the Lakers at least should run, uh, Quinn Cook should be seeing a whole bunch of time at, at that point guard position or at the two. Obviously not ideal defensively, uh, but offensively, we've talked about this on the show before. I don't think it's unrealistic to roll out um, you know, a three-guard lineup with Alex Caruso, Quinn Cook, and Contavious Caldwell Pope, um, at least offensively. Again, going back to defense, you know, who knows what they're going to do. But if they can outscore the second unit um, with the guys they put on the, out on the floor, they're, they're in a decent position. Um, and, that's, and that's the thing I want to close with, um, no pun intended, when, when the games, you're in a heated playoff series or, or a regular season game, really tight game, uh, and you need to put out that five-man unit that just gets it done. Uh, I think for the first time in a little while, we can we can say pretty confidently at least a few guys are going to be in there. To me, it's Anthony Davis, of course, LeBron James, and then I think you have to put Danny Green in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's your best wing defender, and he's your best shooter. He's has the experience. Yeah, those three are, are as locked in as you can get. Danny Green's going to be in every, every must-win game, every must-win moment offensively or defensively uh he's going to be on the floor hopefully he doesn't have to make a really crucial pass that he throws out of bounds and nearly hands the warriors a nba finals <laughs> win and, and the rest of that death lineup to me all depends on the improvement kyle kuzma makes on the defensive end um i know our two friends alex and alex who do a podcast for us on silver screen and roll um, did a really good podcast on Kyle Kuzma and, and his impact on the team, uh, what he needs to do to, to really make that leap next season. And I think in order for Kuzma to make an impact on that, on that second or on that death lineup, um, he really needs to improve as a defender. And by that same token, if, if he shows he can play defense, you know, competently, he becomes that backup three for the Lakers. Um, and that raises their ceiling a whole bunch. I think even more so than him be, you know, going back to being a, a decent three-point shooter, his defensive improvement is going to mean so much for them. Uh, so if Kuzma shows signs of life on defense, I think he absolutely is, is part of that lineup. If, if for no other reason than the fact that he's always looking to get the ball. Like, the, the one thing I think people under like underrated about Kyle Kuzma is how well he plays with LeBron James and how much he gets it. Like when the ball is in LeBron James hands, you need to move on the court and get open. Um, and in my opinion, I don't think Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball or Josh Hart ever got that at any point last season, the way Kyle Kuzma did uh, immediately. And maybe that's because of, you know, uh, a scary amount of self-awareness that they just thought, you know, once I get this ball, what am I going to do with it? Um, but Kuzma is that guy, and he can create for himself. Um, so at that point, you have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma, and Danny Green. Who's that fifth guy in that lineup for you before we go, Jacob? Uh, a cop-out answer is that it kind of depends on the uh, <laughs> matchup. Um, Who do you not want it to be, I guess, is, is a better question. Raise your arm, But I don't know that there's anybody necessarily I don't want it to be. It's just, it depends on, I think I'd probably prefer it to be Boogie, but 
you can't do like you. I don't think you could do that against Houston because yeah, they're going to play small. And that's big too. I, yeah. I, that's an option that the Lakers have that a lot of teams don't have. Like the only team I can think of, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, that can match the amount of size and skill that the Lakers have. You know, at any point of the season, is probably the 76ers with uh, yeah. Simmons, Harris, and Horford, and Embiid. They're they're just huge. Um, but the Lakers, I, I I would still take them in a seven game series, obviously because they have LeBron James. Um, but yeah, that's a really big lineup. I think that's one direction they can go. I think everybody's praying that Avery Bradley is even like even if he can only defend ones because the Avery Bradley of old regardless of whether or not he was overrated in his time in Boston. I personally think he was. Um, Just to have somebody to throw in front of another team's best point guard, if Avery Bradley can do that, he becomes one of the most valuable players on the team. Like, And I'd extend that to Alex Caruso and Rajon Rondo too, although I'm not holding my breath about Rondo. Anybody that can defend ones at a high level or at a respectable level becomes the third or fourth most valuable player on this Lakers team. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, but I think the one thing we can end the show on is the fact that having a stabilizing presence like Danny Green uh, as part of the team and and that defensive unit um, is really comforting as a Lakers fan, and and I'm sure we'll see his presence felt throughout the course of the regular season. Yeah, you won't go into games this year kind of fearing. I mean, you might, but there's less <laughs> fear with with opposing wings that are really good because, you know, you have a guy that's right there ready and able to defend him next season. Jacob, this was a whole bunch of fun, and I hope you guys have fun listening to us. If you do, ha- I was going to say hop on over to iTunes, but that doesn't make sense. One doesn't hop on over to iTunes. <laughs> uh, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice little five-star review if you think our show is worth that and you know maybe say nice things about jacob's beard you can't see it because take take his word for it right yeah it it is very nice i cannot grow a beard myself it's just a patchy mess and even my mustache is just wispy and and (laughs) pale in comparison to jacob's um but yeah thanks so much for listening and we'll see you all next week